Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hey everyone, Tom Salemi here. Thanks for joining us on the OIS Podcast. It's been an interesting week in ophthalmology. Uh, the, a paper that came out of the England Journal of Medicine last week uh, highlighted some, uh, some troubling results of some, uh, some really unregulated stem cell injections uh, that were uh, administered to, to three women who were uh, looking to treat their age-related macular degeneration. Uh, of course, the injections uh, did not slow the progression of their vision, vision loss or restore their vision. It uh, ultimately cost them their vision. And uh, the cases, again, occurred two years ago and uh, came to the attention of uh, our guest today, who is uh, Dr. Thomas Albini. He's an associate professor of clinical ophthalmology at the Bascom Palmer Eye Institute. And um, Dr. Albini and and others um, sort of came to know of these cases and learned of the origins of the, the treatments and really had to decide what to do not only to help these patients, which which they did what they could, which unfortunately wasn't much, um, but to, to to find a way to to alert others of these these uh, unregulated injections of st- of stem cells in the eye, and they considered a few different options. Uh, going to the media, uh, they did go to the FDA. They went to the clinical organizations, and, and Dr. Albini will talk about this in the podcast, but what they, what they ultimately settled on uh, was uh, writing a, a paper for the New England Journal of Medicine, which really had the desired effect of, of alerting um, everyone, uh, those who read the, the, the journal, of course, but those who, uh, who cover healthcare and, and use articles like these to, to write more general interest stories about ophthalmology. So, it really brought to light a, uh, a troubling uh, element of eye care um, and, and something that it's good that we're all aware of. So we'll talk to Dr. Albini specifically about the cases, about the decision to write the paper. Uh, as, I, as I indicated, or if I didn't, there were, there were 10 different uh, physicians who contributed to this. And uh, we'll have their names up on the website and uh, on the OIS.net website. And I'll try to link to uh, a few articles about the uh, about the study as well. So you could also just Google it, and it'll come up. But we'll we'll try to provide you those links. But it's an interesting case in that obviously stem cell research is uh, is very high profile. We're seeing it in other specialties. Um, you read about baseball players who are having injections in their their shoulders, pitchers specifically to try to encourage growth, but the eye is not, uh, is not a shoulder. And, uh, this is something that the, uh, the, the specialty definitely needs to, uh, get its, its arms around and to ensure that, uh, things like these don't happen again. And this is, this is the beginning of that. What's what we'll, we'll talk about today. And on a, on a broader issue on a national scale, uh, as government, works to reinvent itself and discussions come about about uh, really loosening the, 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 the reins that the FDA has on the drug industry. It's important to, to hear stories like these and to demonstrate, you know, why FDA review and regulation is important. And I don't think it's, I don't think that's a, 
a position that is inconsistent with most people listening to this podcast. So it's an interesting story. I'm grateful that uh, Dr. Albini could take a few minutes to share it, and we'll get into it uh, right away. Before we do, I just want to remind you that uh, OIS at ASCRS is coming up May 4th in L.A. Go to OIS.net to register. Now let's talk with uh, Dr. Thomas Albini of the Baskin Palmer Eye Institute. Dr. Thomas Albini, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So it's our pleasure. You've you've uh, been quite uh, a media sensation, <laughs> you and your your co-authors <laughs> this this past week. Uh, and uh, and I've talked about it in the intro, um, but bring us back to sort of the 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 catalyst. What what led you and your co-authors to uh, to sort of tackle this issue and to and to decide to do something and then we can get into the conversation about how you decided to do what you wanted to do but what what happened first to 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 make this all happen well it was it was really just the the drama of seeing these patients come in and the spectacle uh, uh how heartbreaking this whole story was and um you know uh brandon parrott who's one of the co-authors he was a fellow at bascom he's now in private practice in sarasota um he saw one of the patients, um, and these patients described pretty similar stories. They they said that the procedures were very uncomfortable, frankly painful, uh, while they were having the procedure, and and that they uh, immediately lost vision um, following the procedure, and it actually got worse over time after um, after the procedure. So he saw one of these patients, and um, I remember it was a Friday and he called me in my Friday afternoon clinic and said, um, uh, you know, I'd like you to see this patient. I don't, you know, I'm a uvi specialist. So he said, I don't think this is an infection, but she had bilateral injections of something purportedly, uh, stem cells. And, um, she's lost a lot of vision and her fundus really looks unlike anything I've seen before. And, and, uh, he described this hemorrhagic retinopathy with, uh, pre-retinal and intra-retinal hemorrhages diffusely throughout the fundus. Um, and uh, so I saw her the following uh, Monday and the story just of how this uh, woman had um, uh, begun to lose vision. She had just moderate vision loss and was worried about losing the ability to drive. And I think, I forget who, but somebody in her family um, did some research and tried to offer her alternative uh, therapies. This woman actually had wet macular degeneration and had had anti-VEGF injections, had been uh, quiet for a while without any fluid, and um, and was hoping that there was something more she could do to restore her vision. I think the vision was somewhere in the 2060 area. And then they went to this clinic. And then, uh, as if that wasn't bad enough, within a week, we saw a second patient that came in with a very similar story. This one was even more dramatic because this patient had both crystalline lenses dislocated anteriorly, elevated intraocular pressures, a retinal detachment, also this hemorrhagic retinopathy. So it was just unique, and we thought it was interesting to try to piece together, you know, pathophysiologically what happened to these patients, how can you explain, and we're still not really 100% certain about that. Uh, what commonalities they had. And then the other thing was just thinking, what what do we do about this? It is very rarely do we um, 
think about patient safety uh, when we see patients come in, but we didn't know who to, who do you tell about this? The cops, you know, the FBI, who do you call? Right. So we called, we called, we called the department of health and we called the Florida department of health. We called the FDA after the second patient. And uh, I remember thinking that if another patient walks in like this, we got to call the cops because this is somebody basically doing something inappropriate. Um, so uh, we, uh, uh, the FDA launched an investigation. And then the other people that we told about it were the uh, uh, Research and Therapeutic Surveillance Committee at the American Society of Retina Specialists. And they were um, uh, interested enough in this to send out an email blast to all 3,000 members of the ASRS um, and, uh, we got one hit back of a similar scenario and, um, it turns out that the patient had had the procedure done at roughly the same time at the exact same clinic, uh, was, uh, lived in a different part of the country and was being taken care of at Dean McGee Eye Institute in Oklahoma city, but, um, the same story. So, uh, then, you know, it was, it was, it was just too strong to have seen three patients get blinded like this without reporting it. And we wanted to try to get the story out there because all of us had seen one patient here, one patient mm-hmm. there, a lot of patients that had had really bad eye disease before they'd had a stem cell procedure. Um, I'd only seen it in patients that had gone internationally to get uh, these types of procedures done. So I was shocked that this was available in, 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 on Broward. Um, but, uh, uh, Nobody had seen something like this with three patients in a row that had had done so poorly, and just and to, some of the things just, just really con- stood out was yep. Sorry. Just just to confirm, so the two the two you found um, on your own came to you initially, and the third came following that that email email blast. That's correct. The okay. third one we 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 got we we found through the through that email blast, and this is all in the summer uh, of 2015. So we're talking about nearly mm-hmm. nearly two years ago. Uh, summer of 2015. Yes, we, uh, trying to remember, I presented the cases at the, just to the small committee of the, uh, therapeutic and, uh, and research surveillance committee at the ASRS in Vienna. That was in August, I think of 2015. Mm-hmm. And then we finally presented the cases in November of 2015 at the American Academy of Ophthalmology. So, so and you know, do you think yep. do you think you would have seen seen if this had been going on for a time, this would have come to your attention sooner? Is it your sense that these this was a very isolated incident where these injections were given in this manner at only this time, or do you think you're sort of just um, uh, seeing the tip of the iceberg and there's more that's gone on in more similar procedures that have gone on? that have just been undetected by you or by others you've been working with? I think yes and no. Um, I think yes, um, this is probably the, these are probably the worst cases. And we, we were thankful. I mean, when we send out that email, we weren't sure if we were going to get, right. you know, 50 responses or one or zero. But um, so I, I think these are the absolute worst cases. These are definite outliers from what is what is happening out there. Um, on the other hand, I, I, it opens up the question of um, other clinics uh, 
And I'm led to believe by some of the studies that have been done that there's probably somewhere between 20 and 30 clinics in the United States offering unproven stem cell therapy for eye conditions. Um, some of these may be as safe as injecting, you know, fat-derived stem cells into uh, the orbit, you know, which probably doesn't cause much harm. But there are probably other places offering intravitreal injection. Um, and um, I think that uh, there's probably not as bad outcomes, but uh, there may be other outcomes as bad. And one of the things that I that I learned in talking to these patients is that um, is that they they're not necessarily uh, terribly interested in getting the story out themselves. Hmm. So while these patients were happy that we were writing this up. Um, they, they don't want to talk to media. They don't want to be directly involved. Um, and, uh, that can be for legal issues because, um, two of these patients have had settlements, which have been written about in the media now, uh, widely, um, with the company and have signed non-disclosure. So they can't, but that's not true for one of the patients. And, and what we found also was sort of a feeling of, of, um, uh, guilt that some mm -hmm. of these patients had for having done this and not really trying to brag about it too much and get out there and talk about it too much. That's for some patients. There are some other patients that are uh, really upset, uh, not not any that were in this series, but I've since then now been talking to some other patients that have had these unproven stem cell therapies for eye disease who are uh, very upset with their providers. Um, so there are other situations like there, but I think this was uh, just very clear cut in terms of the extent of damage that was done. So you talked to the, the, the FDA, you talked to the, the clinical organizations, you got the word out through there, um, and, it, and it seems to have had at least some impact. What, what was next? How did, how did the, the, the notion of this, this paper come together? Well, I think our question was, you know, um, uh, how do we make uh, retina specialists uh, aware that this is going on and that the outcomes can be this bad so people can provide good advice to their patients. And also, um, what we learned um, is that there's, there's this debate that's been going on within the stem cell community between um, people who feel that stem cell research should be deregulated and and should not really meet up to the same standards that a lot of other therapeutics do for the interest of getting these uh, treatments out to patients as quickly as possible. Um, the debate between that viewpoint and the viewpoint um, that really, if we're going to make any progress, it needs to be done very carefully in a very rigorous manner. And um, I, you know, wasn't aware of this issue at all. I didn't really know about the unproven stem cell market. Um, as we learned about it, the fact that this happened really was an important story in that in that debate, um, because part of the argument that it doesn't need to be uh, as tightly regulated as pharmaceutical products uh, it was that it was so safe. And I think the reality is um, that a lot of these companies that were that are and were predominantly doing uh, treatments of joints and injecting um, uh, stem cells into joints that they uh, were not doing a lot of harm. But mm -hmm. as, the, as the companies start to move into other applications, 
uh, <clears throat> such as treatment for neurologic degenerative disease um, and for ophthalmic conditions, that uh, things are getting more complicated and they're, they're more likely to cause damage. So we thought it was important to get that out. And then we, we tossed around in the beginning, you know, whether just to call the Miami Herald and, and mm-hmm. inform people not to go to these uh, stem cell clinics. But then uh, we thought that uh, we would lose some of, the, um, some of the science in that, that it would be important to put these cases together formal, in a formal way so that whatever uh, knowledge can be gained from what happened to those patients is gained uh, from it. Um, and we thought, um, that we, we could probably, uh, ultimately get a bigger audience without directing the attention really as much at this particular company, which is, you know, what we thought the media would do if we came out with the story directly Mm -hmm. and, and really just talk about the issue in general. Um, and I've, I've been quite happy with the way that's worked by publishing the paper first and then talking about the paper instead of talking about the the these uh these patients in particular and the the company in particular no it's almost given you it, it has given you a sort of a third party validation that it's coming from this scientific paper which is a common way for news like this to to get out so i think that was very yeah. shrewd how did the there's there's i think i'm counting uh roughly 10 co-authors um and i'll i'll count it more specifically but uh i can count that high how did you all come together to uh to write this, did you do you all know know each other previously, or did you all sort of pick up on? on well, on... let me think. We all knew each other previously. We uh, no, that's not true. Two of us. Uh, well, Bob Leonard turns out was a fellow at Baskin Palmer um, at some point, but not since I've been there. So I um, I've met him through through working on this project, and his uh, fellow uh, is a, is a co-author on the on the, on the paper, and they taking care of the patient that was in Oklahoma city. Mm-hmm. The remainder of the authors, um, were, uh, clinicians that had taken care of the patients at Baskin Palmer. There's a resident that saw the patient in the emergency room fellows. Um, Dr. Justin Townsend who operated on the lady who had the sublux, uh, lenses. We called in because this was so unusual. I mean, we called in Dr. Flynn, who's the head of the, um, the uh, Retman Division at Bascom, Dr. Rosenfeld is a you know internationally recognized expert in macular degeneration, so uh, he was involved in looking at these patients, and um, and Dr. Goldberg, who's now the um, uh, chairman at Stanford, was at Bascom, and although he's a glaucoma specialist clinically, uh, he's also a stem cell researcher. So we were talking to him about what kind of things we could have expected from from the procedures. So that's, that's the team. But I think it was a strong team because we had people really from, from with, with expertise in retinal care, with expertise in stem cell research um, that, that, were, that were on the team. And going back to the, this procedure, because you mentioned it, it could, the stem cells could be injected in the orbit, which would not necessarily perhaps do the, do the same harm as these injections did. Was it the, 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 the way that the injections were done, where they were done, that really cause the damage or are you advising against any injections of any stem cells in any way in anyone's eye? I'm, I'm certainly not advising that stem cells should never be injected in the eye. And, you know, one of the questions that I've been getting asked is, so what do you think about the future of stem cells? Does this mean stem cells are never going to work for <laughs> ocular disease? And the answer is obviously not. I think 
you know, where our message is that it, that for us to know whether it works, it needs to, the research needs to be done in a in a in a rigorous scientific and ethical fashion, um, uh, and uh, not just offered without having any research uh, to back it up. So, um, so I think um, I think that uh, you know when we thought about what what had happened initially, of course we 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 didn't know we didn't assume anything. So we don't know that the person who did these injections did them in the appropriate fashion. But they didn't look like needle trauma. You know, it didn't look like somebody just somehow put the needle in the wrong place because mm-hmm. those would be localized injuries um, within the eye. I mean, we really, th- these eyes had diffuse hemorrhage um, throughout the, the posterior pole. Um, it's hard to imagine that both lenses could be pushed anteriorly. Um, and the, the other thing that was interesting was that five out of the six eyes had retinal detachments ultimately. But... Um, uh, most of the detachments happened uh, in the month or so after the procedure. Huh. So it seems like there was something happening in the eye that caused the detachment. And, you know, the, the hypothesis that I've drawn from looking at these patients is that I think these cells really do take residence on the retinal surface and form membranes that are similar to the membranes that we see in proliferative vitreoretinopathy. retinopathy. And ultimately contract and and cause breaks after you know long after the injection, um, and th- that would explain the delay in the retinal detachments because there were uh, the patient that I saw when I saw her had no retinal tears and I did a very thorough examination of the peripheral retina, no retinal tears, um, no retinal detachment, but eventually she detached in both eyes uh, about two to three weeks later with. Uh, proliferative vitreoretinopathy type membranes on the surface. So I think that's, I think part of it may be cellular. Um, the other aspect is that some, some of what we saw, I think may have uh, been caused by uh, agents um, such as uh, uh, alpha chymotrypsin um, or other enzymes that are used in the preparation of the stem cells. Uh, from the adipose tissue, maybe weren't adequately washed out. I'm speculating, but that would explain why so many of these eyes had some degree of zonular weakness, mm-hmm. including the bilateral subluxed uh, lenses. Um, and um, I'm I'm still trying to uh, dig up more of the old uh, literature on what happens when you inject alpha chymotrypsin in the vitreous cavity. But I think there is a hemorrhagic retinopathy that's been reported uh, with that in animal models previously that might explain the diffuse hemorrhage. Um, the the circulation, surprisingly, on fluorescein angiography looked, you know, I was expecting that these patients would have retinal vasculitis, that this was predominantly inflammatory in nature and ischemic, but um, but the circulation actually looked fairly normal on, on fluorescein angiogram. It was just um, a lot of blocking from blood. Um, uh, so uh, it's interesting, but um, uh, we'll have to see with time, figure that out. But um, I, I, I would say that I think it was from the substance that was injected that mm-hmm. caused the majority of the pathology here. But I wouldn't assume that the substance that was injected was what you would inject in a in a controlled um, trial of of stem cells. I see. So I I don't think that it should preclude people from working on that strategy. 
Well, final question. What is, what is next for you? You mentioned that you've been uh, swamped with, uh, with interview requests. And uh, I understand you may be uh, speaking with the FDA later this year. I mean, does, does this go someplace else? Or is, this, uh, is this something you'll be involved with again going forward? Uh, uh, you know, for me right now, I'm, I'm, I'm learning from people that, that have uh, read the article and that are bringing uh, to the article uh, different aspects that I uh, didn't necessarily foresee. But it does speak to what could happen in a medical community where we don't have um, efficacy uh, demonstration required. Um, what happens if you start to proliferate clinics that just offer therapies of any kind without, you know, um, the type of detailed research that the FDA has um, has required? So I think there's a there's a there's a, a, um, a lesson to be learned uh, in that debate uh, that that people are having at the FDA. You know, should the FDA try to um, uh, detangle a lot of the regulatory hurdle that uh, the pharmaceuticals go through? Um, and what are the potential downsides to that? Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I really look forward to learning more about is just how prevalent this is um, and what kind of other clinics are offering similar uh, procedures throughout the United States. So there hasn't been uh, there. There's been um, studies of uh, unproven stem cell clinics in general, looking at the, all the different websites for them. But, for example, nobody's done that just for in particular focusing on the eye care related um, stem cell clinics. And I, I also, what I've seen just in, this is now we're only what a week out since the paper was published, but I've had a number of, of groups of patients and uh, patients that have had treatments come forward and, uh, tell me about other locales, um, other places that have done similar things. And so it's, it's definitely bringing, uh, people out to tell these stories that, uh, weren't telling them uh, before the paper came out. And, and I'm assuming you're getting the, the support of the uh, ophthalmology community? Yeah, uh, it's been interesting. Most of my colleagues, uh, the response has been, uh, thank you for getting this out there. I think um, it, it hasn't been so much shock. Um, mm-hmm. I think uh, uh, people have seen a case here, a case there. Um, and, uh, you know, people agree that this is going on. And, and I think uh, people are happy that um, that it's getting out to the lay press and getting out to patients and doctors um, that, uh, you know, to be aware that these aren't the uh, the usual medical establishments that we're, that we're used to in uh, traditional American medicine. Terrific. Well, well, thank you for writing the paper and for, for taking some time with us uh, with us today. Uh, it's great. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And that is a wrap. Dr. Thomas Albini, thank you for joining us on the OIS podcast. It was a pleasure to have you. Thanks also to you and to the other nine authors uh, of the paper. It, uh, it had its desired effect. It certainly has uh, raised raise awareness of this problem. And it's, uh, it's heartening to hear that the ophthalmology community is behind you. And hopefully something will be done. So uh, thanks again for... Uh, for putting the, in the effort and following through to all of the uh, authors of the paper. Thank you, OIS Podcast listeners, for joining us on this OIS Podcast. If you liked what you heard, uh, please do leave a rating on iTunes. It really does help uh, spread the word about the podcast. Also, just tell your friends. Uh, tell them about the OIS Podcast. If they love innovation in ophthalmology as much as you do, then they certainly should be listening. So, 
do that. And uh, feel free to reach out to me directly too if you have questions or comments about the podcast. My email is tom at healthogy.com. That's the word health, followed by the letters egy.com. I would love to hear from you. Finally, don't forget to join us on May 4th at OIS at ASCRS. Just go to ois.net, register, and we will see you in Los Angeles.